0: Hey, Seth, happy first Sunday of Lent to you. How are you? I'm very penitent. Penitent? Good. It's Lent. You better be. I'm just kidding. It's good to see you. I'm so glad we're getting this uh, Lenten series started with what else but a very particular question. What would you do in this particular situation? Seth, the question is simple. Would you want to eat rocks
1: Or cliff dive? See, I think I'm going to eat rocks. Because I feel like my chances of surviving are higher. Do you really think that, though?
0: I mean, cliff diving is a thing that people do, that they survive all the time. I don't know many people that eat rocks. How many rocks do I have to eat? How big are they? Mm. Like, is it, like, pebbles? I think they're bigger than that. I think you have to eat one, like, cantaloupe-sized rock.
1: One can't. Okay, I'm...
0: Maybe not. Yeah, I don't guess know. Because
1: I'm diving. <laughs>
0: either option. I not was thinking I
1: could fine. eat like multiple smaller rocks.
0: Yeah. I mean, you'd have to, right? Like, how would you? It's not like yeah. you can bite off the big I mean, you, you could take to, like, the cantaloupe. Just smash the big rock on a big rock. Yeah, that's rock. what I was going to say.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it doesn't seem very practical either way. So for me, I, I just think eat rocks is too impractical. Like, eat rocks is a high-risk, low-reward situation. <laughs> Cliff diving, high-risk, high-reward. <laughs> true. That's true. That's, that's my logic behind it. But honestly, the practicality of eating rocks doesn't feel like something I would ever opt for.
1: I respect that.
0: So, interestingly enough, These are both like maybe one degree away from being very closely related to our scripture text (laughs) for today. So will you go ahead and read that for us?
1: I'd love to. This is Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 through 11 from the Common English Bible. Then the Spirit led Jesus up into the wilderness so that the devil might tempt him. After Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was starving. The tempter came to him and said, Since you are God's son, command these stones to become bread. Jesus replied, It's written, people won't live only by bread, but by every word spoken by God. After that, the devil brought him into the holy city and stood him at the highest point of the temple. He said to him, Since you are God's son, throw yourself down, for it is written, I will command my angels concerning you, and they will take you up in their hands so that you won't hit your foot on a stone. Jesus replied, Again, it's written, Don't test the Lord your God. Then the devil brought him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said, I'll give you all these if you bow down and worship me. Jesus responded, go away, Satan, because it's written, you will worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The devil left him and angels came and took care of him.
0: Great. Thanks, Seth. If I could
1: turn those rocks into bread, that
0: changes everything. It sure does. Yeah, I would say so. Well, other than that, other than the possibility of rock bread, what stood out to you in this passage?
1: I'm just interested in the way that the tempter or Satan, like, uses scripture to try and, like, force Jesus' hand. Like, he uses scripture against Jesus, basically. The devil quotes scripture and says it's written i will command my angels concerning you and they will take you up in their hands so that you won't hit your foot on a stone like that's fascinating to me
0: yeah i mean jesus's responses are consistent right he's responding with clear references uh it seems that he gets a little bit more infuriated over the the course (laughs) of the conversation but this time in the middle The tempter suggests that maybe there is some proof texting that he can do to help advance his cause. And he quotes uh, Psalm 91 and Hmm. presents Jesus with this alternative to say, look what would happen if you just threw yourself down off the temple. Uh, it, It is really interesting to see how the tactics change or don't along the way for these two yeah i don't know about you but i feel like i've heard a lot of sermons preached on this (laughs) passage and it's a really really significant moment for us as we start this journey of lent this journey with jesus towards the cross towards jerusalem but it's also this story represents a really significant moment for jesus so in the previous chapter of matthew jesus is baptized is affirmed as god's child and here we see almost immediately following that the spirit brings jesus into the wilderness where he has this experience that ultimately starts his ministry this is kind of that transition moment and you know how we know it's a transition moment it's because of one particular number (laughs) the number 40. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm laughing because all I can think about whenever I encounter the number 40 in the Bible is our beloved Bible professor and friend and former No Experts Allowed guest, Brian Smith, who, when I was working as a work-study student, made me spend most of an afternoon on a snow day doing a systematic study of all the times the number 40 showed up in Scripture. <laughs> <laughs> And I complained about it, but honestly, it was a great project. It was really interesting and obviously has still stuck with me today, even though that was nine years ago. (laughs) And the biggest takeaway I have from that work that Brian highlighted in the sermon that he was writing on that theme was 40 days is the number in scripture that represents big time transitions. So can you think of what are some of the other 40 days and nights or the times the number 40 shows up in significant ways that you can think of?
1: Uh, Doesn't it rain for 40 days and 40 nights in the flood? narrative?
0: that's one. Uh, Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. 40
1: years. There's there's way more. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking.
0: I'm pretty sure there are some things around the first kings of Israel or at like thinking about Saul and David and Solomon in particular uh, in terms of the length of their reigns as it's proclaimed. I feel like this is like a game that really, how many times does yeah. it show up? I know there are more, Yeah, but this is, this is another one of the most significant ones and many, many scholars connect this use of the number 40 back to those representing this really, really liminal moment where the way things were is making way for the way things will be. And these are the spaces that we're in a lot of the times. I mean, think about the spaces that we mentioned already. Think about Noah being on the ark with all the animals. There's this transitional moment where what was is clearly no more, but there's not an awareness of what's gonna happen. And same with israel in the wilderness they have been liberated from egypt but they've not yet made it to the land promised to them so having that kind of in-between sensation is something that's really important for us to think about during lent and here we see jesus face three temptations one for food which after 40 days i would probably just try to eat the rocks honestly (laughs) it's same once for security you know safety Being saved when he throws himself off the temple and wants for glory. Saying, bow down and worship me, is what the tempter says, and I'll give you all these things. And each time Jesus responds with scripture that just appears to keep him grounded, centered, and resistant to Satan's temptation. And So I can't tell you how many times I've heard sermons preached that just say, when you face temptation, have (laughs) scripture ready to go. And you'll be able to resist anything. That's that's honestly one of the things that I've heard most often about this passage.
1: Mm-hmm. And I'm
0: I'm curious to know if there's if you've had similar experiences or are there other stories that come to mind in terms of how you see this story interacting with how we teach or how we have been taught about temptation
1: in particular. I think I've probably heard more than a few sermons that echo the ones you've heard oh you know when when the temptation comes you know be prepared with your scripture verse but i i you know i remember one that that's different at least or at least or at least has one different part maybe it started like the others but the person said whenever someone promises you something like you know the tempter promises Jesus, you should always ask whether they can actually deliver on it.
0: Hmm.
1: And I think, like, I still remember that, because at least here, especially when you get to the kind of the final temptation, when the devil brings him to this high mountain and shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, like, is that really something that the devil or Satan or the tempter, whatever you want to call this being is that something that they can offer yeah the answer to that is, is at least for me no that's not like ultimately theirs to give right? well i appreciate the way that you're framing
0: the role of the tempter the devil in this story <laughs> it's important for us to remember that there is no singular satan in scripture there is no character with a capital S name, despite what our English translations might have us believe. Essentially a lot of the tradition in our day around that extends to the book of Job and the character who is essentially being adversarial towards God and towards Job in the story, who in Hebrew is called Hasatan, the adversary. <laughs> and, and it's not it's not a capital T the either. It's just in this particular context the one who is being antagonistic and so through these portrayals of 40 days through the portrayal of an adversary a tempter a devil of some kind there are so many shades that matthew's gospel is pulling out of the hebrew bible that Mm. are a lot of scholars identify as some of the key themes that help identify what Matthew's gospel is trying to say about who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. And so it might be worth asking, you know, through this and how it was originally heard, how might deliverance come through these 40 days, just like deliverance (laughs) came, at least in certain interpretations of the Ark and (laughs) Israel's time wandering in the wilderness. Seth, I, I think you know, as we think about how we want to frame this series, right, this Lenten journey that we're going on and allowing it to be a time where we investigate and interrogate our own relationship with the world around us and how our call is towards environmental justice and some of the things that that may mean, I actually have a question (laughs) for you. That I promise we'll make that connection eventually, assuming we can get there. I think we can. I believe in us. (laughs) Okay. But I want to ask the question, if you think this story, that in its most literal sense, is God in the flesh resisting temptation, (laughs) and even in a more metaphorical sense, is designed to portray Jesus as a certain type of character in the whole of the biblical canon, and in Israel's history, do you think this temptation story actually presents us with a model that is useful for us? Is this a practical temptation-resistance model that Jesus puts forward?
1: Okay, I'm going with my gut. I'm going to say no. I mean...
0: (laughs) I mean, it was kind of a leading question. (laughs) um, It was a
1: leading question, but... (laughs) Yeah, I also I know think... a lot
0: of people who would, who would respond, of course. Of course it is. Of course we can. And I'm not saying we can't learn anything from it. But share more why, why your gut's telling you no.
1: One sort of difficulty, I guess, is that, like, Jesus always seems to have the perfect scripture to match. Whatever this adversarial figure says, like, Jesus has some quick, witty retort that counters it and i just think number one like i've taken a lot of bible classes but i'm not sure that i have that i don't know if i have if i even know enough bible to be able to do that and i'm not sure a lot of people do if i'm honest but i also think that answering with these like individual scriptural Counters is just like not actually a productive way to even counter like other places in scripture. Mm. I guess what I would look for and what I would say would be more helpful would be like an overarching framework about like what God does in the world and how that can push against te- like different kinds of temptations. Yeah. Right rather than just like individual cherry picked verses that that I can try and hope to throw back in the you know in temptation's face. Yeah. Wait time out. Have you seen have you seen the video on Twitter of the male pastor goes was, how to eat i was
0: just about to bring this up uh, yes, <laughs> okay this exactly where we're going and i don't want to get into details of it because honestly don't. Yeah, i don't, I don't like, want this to validate like. this i don't want to validate this idiot and this demonization of <laughs> women and all these male evangelical pastors who somehow like women are just throwing themselves at them every single turn okay i was i was thinking about that though because we often frame temptation like that right like you're trying your hardest to go the right way, but the the wrong choice is just there over and over and over again, and it's just too good to pass up. Temptation is often not that blatant of a choice, honestly. I think we recognize it the most in the times when we have to wrestle with it in some way. I'd actually contend that temptation, the recognition that temptation is present, usually means that we are closer to doing the right thing than we are when mm. we don't recognize that the temptation is present. Mm. And I think that's especially yeah. relevant when, it consi- when we consider environmental justice, God's heart for the created world, and our call to be stewards of this world. Because there's not, again, I, I know it feels like I'm making a big jump and we are intentionally trying to explore these texts with these lenses. But part of the reason I don't find this text as a practical temptation resistance model is because we know, and we especially know right now during Lent, that we are going to fall short. We are going to give in to temptation. And I don't find Jesus to be in the business of, well, I could do it, why can't you? You know, that's And that's how often, and I, I'm sure... I'm playing into how this story has often been portrayed and communicated to me, but I don't find Jesus to be in that in that space. And in the season of Lent, we're asked to reflect on the ways that we fall short. I think oftentimes we treat Lent as kind of a journey within. You know, we, we go deeper into our own self, our own practices, the times where we're tempted to say, Well, I could turn those rocks into bread, or maybe mm-hmm. I could get the glory. But very rarely does our reflection and our repentance drive us outward. I love how Richard Foster frames a lot of the spiritual disciplines as both a journey inward and a journey outward. The work of the Spirit is not merely limited to personal piety, it is also deeply social. It's deeply political. It radically affects the world around us. This Lent, I'm wondering if we have the opportunity to assess what temptations are we not even realizing we're giving into to frame it that way. Mm -hmm. What ways about how we are relating to, connecting to, being nurtured by, or simply destroying and exploiting the world around us How does that need to be interrogated during this season that drives us to reflection as we journey with Jesus to the cross? And as Jesus journeys with us to the things about not only ourselves, but about our world that need to die to see God's reign and realm come in its fullness. That was a lot of exploration, and I feel like I'm doing gymnastics to try to (laughs) to try to get (laughs) here but i think i think ultimately the point that i'm trying to make is this journey outward into the world around us is so essential to what lent is all about and our relationship to the created world is worth examining through that lens does that land at all am i just Am I just totally like (laughs) pulling stuff out of nowhere and, and and forcing it in here?
1: No, I don't think so. I liked your point that when we recognize we're being tempted, that probably means we're closer to doing the right thing than we are to giving into the temptation. I like that point, especially when I think about the environment, because there's a lot of choices I make where I think, oh, you know, I, I could do this that's maybe worse for the environment or this that's better. So at least then I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm actively thinking about it. I'm like, okay, you know, should I, should I drive to my mailbox Or should I walk? You know, that seems like a pretty simple Mm -hmm. one. But there's also decisions that, like, I'm not even consciously making. That, you know, are also, A, decisions, but B, like, negatively impact the environment. And I haven't even thought for a second about whether or not I could or should do anything to change, you know, my particular habit. I'll only speak for myself because I live somewhere like where it's not super easy to get around by public transportation. Um, But my default is just to get in my own car and drive there, which is like, which can be convenient, I guess. But it's also not very good for the environment. But that's my default. I'm just like, oh, I'll get in and I'll drive to the store. The temptation, I guess, is the convenience that driving offers but then the alternative right is you know to take public transportation or to like to hitch a ride with someone and carpool and both of those those latter options are better for the environment yeah and and the world is complex our
0: decisions are really complex and when you're thinking about transportation There's no right and wrong there's no there are things that are better and worse than others but there's not a clear-cut option in every scenario because when you're carpooling with someone you're still you're still consuming fossil fuels that are releasing you know burning and releasing fumes into the environment that are not helpful and when we use cars we we place more demands on road systems that are built in ways that are not conducive to good water usage. Yeah, true. But I mean, you know, every decision we make has the potential, if not deep is not deeply embedded in things that are ethically questionable when we drill down to it. When we go to the grocery <laughs> store and buy a you know, a bag of grapes or a head of lettuce, What are the environmental impacts of that decision? Even the decisions that we try to make in efforts to be more environmentally conscious, to be more mindful of the created world, oftentimes have other negative environmental impacts. (laughs) If you want to be really sad, you should look into the carbon footprint of those reusable grocery bags that we use. Oh, geez. It's discouraging at, at very best. I say all that to say, we talk about the little deaths that need to occur over the Lenten journey, not talking about whole people, whole things. I think we're actually Mm -hmm. talking about the death of the things that prevent us from wholeness, from whole connection with God, Mm -hmm. from whole relationship with ourselves and others, but also the wholeness that is possible in our relationship with the earth when Jesus is resisting temptation here, he's not just, you know, identifying these personal decisions. He's affirming a way things ought to be that sustains him, that grounds him, and centers him in these moments where other things are calling out for his attention. And, you know, we are also Mm -hmm. in a 40-day period of our own lent not counting sundays from ash wednesday to easter (laughs) sunday hits that number we're also in this transitional space where we're examining the reality that what was will not be anymore and that something new is coming that god's deliverance is coming and if we frame it as a journey towards not only the cross but a journey towards the wholeness that christ offers us I think we can ask some questions about our relationship with the world that could really provide us with some surprising answers as we make this journey hmm. together.
1: I particularly like this idea that what sort of grounds Jesus during his temptation isn't these individual little snippets of scripture, but this idea of you know what the kingdom of God can be like. And that seems much more helpful to me. Again, I was talking earlier about like, I don't think this passage can be very helpful because it, it doesn't create this kind of overarching theological framework, but I like what you did is is kind of put it into the context of the rest of Jesus journey in Matthew, at least. like he's thinking about what the kingdom can be like and what it might look like on earth and that's what can ground him when he's tempted yeah I like that a lot and I think you're and I think what you were saying about how that can shape you know our 40 plus Sunday days of Lent is true too like when when we ask the questions about you know what what do I think the kingdom looks like and where do I see our world not matching up which is a big question maybe the better question is in this one particular place you know where do I see the kingdom Not matching up with the real world, or you know. When we think about the environment, you know, where's the, where are these two visions disjointed? As opposed to asking the big question that can be so overwhelming.
0: Well, Seth, can I pray for us as we start this transitional journey of our own?
1: I would absolutely love that.
0: Let's pray. God, our guide in the wilderness, you've invited us this Lent into a journey inward and a journey outward. Help us make you ruler of all our realms, internal and external. Mindful of the many names by which your children cry out to you from all over the world, I pray in the name of the one who resisted temptation in the desert,
1: Jesus Christ. Amen amen thanks for tuning in everyone two weeks from now we're back we're looking at the story of the samaritan woman at the well through an ecological lens but jonathan thanks so much for walking us through that story thanks for helping me tell it
0: but interestingly enough both of these options are biblical Based, well, roughly, as you can imagine, based on our scripture text for today.
1: Wait, which one are you doing?
0: Oh. I guess I should answer, shouldn't I? (laughs)